Hello, it's me from beyond. It's me from beyond. Oh, no. I am coming to you from the beyond. My camera keeps going out of focus on the Zoom call. Yeah, your camera's But I, I am here. I am here in the flesh, in the virtual flesh. Hello. It's, it's good to be back. It's good to have you back. I legit missed you. Although we did start finding a pretty good rhythm by the end here. So just as a heads up to you, so you know, this month's theme is witches or which well i've been keeping track i've still been keeping i've still been peeking in um Ooh. i've been i've been like looking through the slats at you yeah yeah <laughs> to, nice so you saw us congratulate or you i should saw you heard us congratulate you on reaching your goal i did hear that for so your sweet starter uh-huh uh-huh thank you yes you want to tell every, so yeah just spill the beans tell us all what's going on lately i will spill the beans i mean i basically just I, you know, I had launched the Kickstarter to raise 500000 to make an Onyx movie. We talked about it here on the podcast. And um, I knew it would be a lot of work, but I don't think I understood how much output would be needed to reach that goal. I think I thought that maybe Onyx fans would catch wind of it uh, almost through telekinesis and then mm. show up on the Kickstarter page where the truth, the, the truth was... Um, I needed to get a lot of content out and frequently because I'd talk about it for weeks and weeks and I'd still get comments that were like, whoa, didn't know you'd launched a Kickstarter, my guy. And it's like, that's terrifying. I've been talking about it for non, you know, nonstop for weeks. But I just, you know, these fucking algorithms, dude, they hide mm -hmm. content. I mean, so you had to keep pushing on Instagram and keep pushing on TikTok and then jump back to YouTube Live. And But I did get into a rhythm where it was almost like a runner's high where I could sit down here and make Onyx content and not even feel it. I mean, it could be two in the morning and I wouldn't even know how I got into the vest and tie. And I was just <laughs> down here going like, here's my top three demons that I'd like to fuck. Like just making up content. <laughs> so who's and in the top three? The The top three was uh, Angela from Night of the Demons, the, uh, the demon from Tales from the Dark Side, which is Radon Chong, but then she transforms into a demon. And then, uh, oh my gosh, who was the third demon I'd like to fuck? Have uh, you oh, seen? Oh. I was the gonna female say, have Cenobite. You seen... Oh, I'm I'm actually surprised she was not your number one. I would have guessed. I, know. I would have guessed her or who's the girl? Although she's not a demon, so I guess it wouldn't count because she's more of a zombie. Never mind. Yeah, I was gonna say that. For, remember that cover for Night of the Living Dead, where the girl was like uh, piercing herself to keep herself in check from turning. Yeah, I, th I think it's I think it's Return of the Living Dead. Is it Return? It's like Return of the Living Dead two or three. Yes. Yeah, I, I just I know remember what you're talking seeing about. that in the blockbuster and being uh, oddly aroused. I I know. I'm gonna look up the cover. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I uh, uh -huh. <laughs> I'm, so I'm gonna look up. I agree. I mean, that's kind of what Angela was like in Night of the Demons because she's she's got like a a black lacy dress and it has a boob window. So it's like, there's a lot going on, but then she's also a demon. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of like sexualized stuff in the Return of the Living Dead sequels. 
The yep. irony that today I just, have you seen that kind of like a uh, Twitter little meme going around where people are, are showing the headline of this article that says like, um, you, you don't have to be the same person you oh, were right. at the start of the pandemic. I you saw yours. Know? Yeah. And then I chose Lilith from, um, yeah. from Diablo, Diablo. And I was just like, oh, that's, that's what I, that's, that's, that's who great. would be my number. That's, my number yeah, either. that makes sense. Uh, I, I actually looked her up, those designs, when I was working on the Onyx script because she is like a super sexual succubus. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, I, we just finally got this momentum and I finally had two Onyx videos actually go viral, on one on Facebook and one on TikTok that talked about the Kickstarter. And so there was like this influx of backers uh, the next to last week that got us to 500. And then the last week was we were able to just focus on stretch goals and we eventually got to 610, which I never thought. I thought I'd be crossing the finish line on a 24-hour live stream, which I did on my channel. And it would be like, I'd be watching and it'd be 499, 999 at like 8 a.m. the last day. Oh. So the fact that like we got over the finish line and still had a week was just like a fucking gift. So I was able to like slow down and decompress over that final week. And then I did a 24-hour live stream which was actually kind of easy because then you had this like you were just amped because you'd made the the money you set out to make. So yeah. I was on on live for 24 hours watching weird movies and talking to people and it was great. It was great. It feels wonderful to have climbed that mountain, but it definitely was uh, a mountain. Yeah, and now you just have the mountain of making a movie. Yeah, I know. Now we're already having discussions like I had a call with a lawyer today about I want to roll. You got to give me. I just want to Yeah, you you will. I actually I have I have a, I have actually as like a specific cameo in mind that I'll talk to you about off the air because it's like kind of a surprise, but okay. there is a specific part that, and I think you'll like the company you're in. Uh, okay, All it's right. hard to explain, but yeah, yeah. All right, it's pretty funny. Um, but yes, now we ha- I had a call today with an entertainment lawyer that was like, okay, so here's the stuff we got to get clearance for in your script because there's a couple of clips that are shown and there's a song that's used. And it was so funny to have to like dive deep with an entertainment lawyer about. So can I show Gadget Hackwrench if she's demonic and a sexy succubus version of Gadget? And he's like, <laughs> I What's think the that's. Answer? He's like, yes. He's like, I think that's transformative enough to be considered parody. Yeah, I would consider yeah. that a parody because they never totally. use her in that way in any of those cartoons. So right, like that's that would only happen in Onyx's world. So it's transformative. Yep. So holy hell, it's so great and to you're, have been over that I mean, hill. I can't believe you're not discussing the thing that you like the tattoo. Oh. <laughs> One of our stretch goals to get us to 600 was that I would get in character, Onyx would go would go to a tattoo parlor and get a crow tattoo. Oh, wait a minute. Onyx in character is getting the tattoo? <laughs> yeah. Oh shit, it's just the story just keeps getting better. And oh, okay, and here's here, this is even better. Are you going to record yourself getting the tattoo as Onyx? Totally. It'll be a full video on YouTube, and it'll be a TikTok. Onyx going to the tattoo parlor to get oh his my crow God. tattoo. Can I give you my tattooist's name? Will you go to well, my tattoo guy? So here's the thing. I thought this was cool. I have a tattoo artist, and uh-huh. he's a bizarro. No. So, is he? And I met him. This is crazy. I met him in Salem. Remember when I went to Salem without you? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm walking down the street and he's like, Bowser. I was like, what's up? And he's this really cool tattooed dude. And he was like, we follow each other on Instagram. 
I'm a tattoo artist. And then I recognize him because I follow him because he does really fun stuff. What's his, his name? I'll follow him right now. His name is Johnny and it's underscore Vampotna or Vampotna, V-A-M-P-O-T-N-A. But he's out here, but yet we met in Salem. Oh, found him. All right. Well, I just followed him. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, so he's going to do kind of a traditional, you know, uh, tattoo style. What the fuck? Style. He's a bizarro. He's not following me. Holy crap. Oh, I don't know shit. what to say about that. I don't know what to say about Johnny. that. Uh, so he's going to do the tattoo this Wednesday night. I can't even believe that it. That is super cool. I'm very yeah. excited for you. And you're going to record it, right? Oh, yeah. We'll get it all. I don't know how Onyx lives through getting a tattoo. I don't know if it hurts or if he's like really surprisingly tough. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, maybe a combo of the two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's a good question. How would he take it? I don't know. I don't know. Huh. It reminds me of when David Spade went and got a Calvin tattoo from Sean Penn on SNL. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. He went and got a, a Calvin tattoo on SNL, and it was like a whole bit. And uh, that's what it'll be like. Because it's a joke, but I want the tattoo to be done well. That's why I'm going to Johnny. Yeah. And I don't think fans are expecting me to to follow through this quick. So the fact that like two weeks later I'll have this tattoo, I'm so mm-hmm. excited. Dude, I'm all about getting more tattoos for I know. obviously. So yes. Heck yeah. I, I feel like, you know what? I am going to fully embrace my midlife crisis. And I'm just Might as well. Everything the fuck I want. Might as well. Why Might not? Might as well. Right? Yeah. Might as well. Totally. So, that being said, well, it's good to have you back. It's great to hear the story. Congratulations on Thank getting you. everything across the finish line. I mean, <laughs> you you definitely like legit pulled it off and you had so many mountains to climb on that. So yeah. I'm like super stoked for you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to my role. I won't have you. You can deal with me. I won't make you deal with my agent. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Although I love my agents, but yeah. I know that you don't have to deal with them. Or maybe yeah. maybe just a little bit. Maybe an intro. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, but this, like I said, I don't did I say this before? I honestly don't remember. Our theme is witches and witchcraft. I think totally. I did say that. So I've got a pretty good I wanted to ease you into these conversations since you've been gone so long. Yeah. Uh, it's you know, so that you have a little bit more lax time because I'm gonna be leaning on you heavily in the next couple of weeks because totally. I'm gonna be leaving. So with that being said, I've got a really good main story, but I do want to hear what you've got for Weird of the Week. Weird of the Week. Hell yeah. It's a smattering. Um, Originally, I was going to do like weird animals only because I had found a couple articles that were about super weird animals. But then I opted to do one weird animal. Then I've got a spooky house story. And then I've got a spooky art story. Ooh, I like spooky art. Yeah, let's start with the spooky art. You may know this, and I can I actually can I interrupt you really quick? Yeah, regards to spooky art, you just reminded me. If there are any listeners out here that have any idea of good art books that I should purchase that have to do with dark German romanticism artwork, wow! Not the I know when you say German romanticism it has a tendency to bring up the not like the writers, but there was like a subset of artists that also kind of became what they would call dark romantics. If you know, I'm trying to like find a art book that kind of covers them all, pulls them all together. 
Yeah. And I, there's one out there and it's $500. Really? And I can't, I just, I can't bring myself to do that. So if you yeah. know of anything else that would work, please let me know is all, all I'm right. saying. Yeah. Please, please at me. But yes, let's start with the, uh, the uh, creepy art. Cause that sounds great. All right, cool. It's also kind of funny and lame. Uh, maybe you know this. I didn't, and I feel like I need my art student, my art school card revoked. Did you know that at the top of Edward Munch's painting, The Scream, it says in very light pencil that's nearly invisible to the naked eye, could have only been painted by a madman. Did I you? Feel like I might have heard that. Okay. First of all, I I laughed when I read this article because it made me think of, you know, like the Joker having demented on his forehead. It's just, <laughs> it's so silly, but it was probably written with a, a certain amount of humor. But I guess the debate for years has been whether or not it was something that Edward Munch himself wrote on the painting or whether or not somebody else did uh, as it kind of exchanged hands from different galleries over the years. Uh -huh. But the article came up because they very specifically now, due to like new high resolution infrared photography, uh, can analyze the handwriting uh -huh. and compare it properly to Munch's. And now they say it was undoubtedly written by Munch himself. Oh. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Uh, it's a, it's it's being done by this National Museum uh, in Norway, and it says, through the microscope, you can see the pencil lines are physically on top of the paint. They've been applied after the painting was finished, but it wasn't clear when or why. Um, the inscription was first mentioned by a Danish art critic when the painting was exhibited in Copenhagen. Basically, they tracked when it wasn't on there and when it was, Mm -hmm. And they determined that it did go back to Edward before that Copenhagen exhibit. And it's funny for, I guess it's just funny that he added it like after yeah. the fact and kind of after it had become a hit too. It's like he co-signed it after it had become a hit, uh, which I thought was funny. And they yeah, say that is a little that is a little uh, Jared Leto. <laughs> uh, you're right. So if, if it's. <laughs> If it's not done partially in jest, then I think it's a little uh, potential. But this is funny. Oh, I'm about to be interrupted by Bowser's Backyard made, oh, mani I can hear it. Yep. made manifest. I'll tell you. But, um, but this was the interesting kind of button to the whole thing. They say he specifically wrote it because there was a, a, a critic who had questioned his mental state. And that it kind of heightened the... Um, mystery around the piece that it was truly written by someone insane so he added it so it was also kind of a little like f you to that guy like oh i guess it could have only been written by painted by a madman uh which made me laugh so anyway that that mystery has been solved it was munch himself that wrote that that scrawled demented on his own painting that's pretty cool i, I like think it's it. cool i think it's cool. i like art i like art history slash history in general that tells you those kind of stories. Yeah, totally. Like obviously give me the big grandiose lesson overall, but yeah. what, what's the like little things that's what's going to keep me interested. I and like it's that. also, yeah. it's just funny to think that the personalities of many artists, I know everyone's very, very different, but are also kind of the same. Like it's They're still kind of all a bunch of, Four, fours on the Enneagram. <laughs> yeah, they're just, they're like, well, all the, not all, I should say, but a lot of the guys 
Yeah. Especially during specific uh, moments of art when they were trying to push whatever it was their artistic manifesto was at that particular moment. Some yeah. were better than others. Yeah, so, totally. Some of, them, some of them got real salty. Well, they definitely all have a chip on their shoulder in response to criticism. They're like, oh, so I guess I must be crazy. Well, I'll write that on the painting, you asshole. Um, there is a great art book now that we're talking about this where which actually goes into this very thing um about some specific artists in regards to how what how they got along with each other and who they were competing with and what they actually felt like in real life versus what they portrayed um in public and it is called i'm sorry you go ahead i'm gonna try and find it here because i actually okay read it oh i'd read that in my library great yeah it's Um, really good well, while you look that up, my next Weird of the Week is super quick, and it just grossed me out. Uh, but it's it, it's a Japanese pen company is selling a pen that comes with a live parasite inside. Ew. Why? And, uh, that's the, There's no reason. Like, I went to the link where it talks about the company that's doing it, and there's not even a reason. It's not like, you know, this is to remind people about what these parasites can do, because it actually is like a dangerous parasite. Um, people can have an allergic reaction to it. It can infect your gastrointestinal tract. Ah, it's like you a, chew on pens? Totally. It's a fucked up parasite. So I don't know what their statement is, but it's this kind of cool golden pen. And then there's a clear section that just has a fucking parasite swimming around in there. No, thank you. An uh, Anasakis worm is encased inside. No, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, okay, okay, here's the book. Ready? Yeah. It's called The Art of Rivalry by Sebastian Ooh. Smee. Ooh, shit, I don't dude. want it to play, but it's going to. I wanted to look up. Uh, Ooh, I'm going to, like, listen to this because I don't read, but I do listen to audiobooks. I'm going to start listening to this as soon as I'm. I'm currently listening to the memoir of the director of Phantasm. Ooh, okay. Don Coscarelli. Uh, but I'm nearly done. And then I would go to The Art of Rivalry. Hell yeah. The Art of Rivalry. It's all about how these famous artists both uh, liked and hated each other and what they would do to each other behind the scenes in order to one-up each other. Whoa, I'm loving this. I, know. I love it. Oof. I love it. That's I just the, That's the shit that I want to hear. Give me the tea on that. Uh-huh. And this is... And this is a, a tangent, but the book I listened to prior to the Don Coscarelli book is is Wild and Crazy Guys, which is all about the comedy boom in the late 70s and 80s from like Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, Bill I remember that. We're just too wild and right. crazy guys. Right. Well, the book is all about the like rivalry they had with each other and, and how they each were kind of trying to get ahead of of the next guy when it came to box office and and then there's Bill Murray, who kind of didn't care, but he still did care. Anyway. Uh, he, he's, he has a good balance where I feel like Bill Murray is kind of the uh, what I want my approach to be yeah. in life in general, where it's like, I'm going to active, I'm going to do a good job with the things that I'm supposed to do a good job on. Yeah. No matter what, I'm going to go after the things that I want to do but I'm not going to let myself become obsessed by it to the point where I'm miserable about everything else in my life. Yeah. I was like that when I was first starting out. And I just don't think that you really need to 
be that way anymore. Yeah, and I think he was he had a lot more vitriol in the early days of SNL and was even known to be a brawler, like physically punched people that he got into rivalries with. So I think he got to a point where he was like, okay, I need to chill out. I can't. Yeah. That, I, and so he became the guy that's like super detached and, and then arguably had the most longevity, though, out of them in regards to his career. Yeah, I would say between all of them, it would be I would boil it down to Steve Martin, him. And, and I guess Eddie uh, Murphy, because Murphy still had all those yeah, crazy hits Murphy. in the 90s. Yeah. And then, uh, well, actually, a lot of them stuck around for quite a bit because even Chase, Chevy Chase, too. I mean, obviously, he was it was pretty much only the uh, uh, the National Lampoon's vacation movies. Yeah. But, I mean, but every time he did it, they did well for the most part until they totally. went to Vegas. They did well. I know. And I think even Vegas was a moderate hit. I listened yeah. to, in the book. They're like, I think they mentioned even Vegas made money, which I was surprised by because I thought that one was like. I thought that one had tanked. Yoosh, I know. Yeah. Uh, so my last weird of the week is it, if it didn't involve my home state, I don't think it would have made weird of the week. But it takes place in Baltimore. So I felt like I needed to talk about it. There's a a house that's for sale right now, and the listing on Zillow shows a lot of the interior pictures that is kind of like a macabre goth person's dream come true. Oh, God. And uh, But I will say, after further investigating, if you actually look through the photo gallery, it's it's kind of, um, uh, I don't know what to say. It's, it's goth by way of home goods, though. It, it's not like true, oh, okay. true goth. It's kind of cutesy goth. But that's, you know, that was their flow, I guess. Yeah, and it's funny that the owners didn't feel the need to make any uh, any changes. Um, basically, the the things to call out are the fact that there is like a graveyard themed bar in the garage. In the backyard, there's even like a faux cemetery set up. There's a lot of you know gates and like fake headstones. There's like mm-hmm. a there's a railings inside that have spider webbed patterns, and there's like the bed. It, it has a lot of mirrors above it, but the mirrors are like coffin shaped. Oh my God. Is this it? Horror themed house with cemetery bar, bedroom, ceiling mirrors for sale. Yes. And, uh, and then, and then there's like a shed that's kind of cute. It says like crypt on the outside of the shed and has, you know, fake. Oh my gosh. They have so many mirrors on their. There's so many mirrors. I was like above their bed. Yes. Yeah. It is like straight up. Like straight I mean, that, up, that actually looks more like a love hotel than it does somebody's yeah. house. I know it looks like a themed room. Well, not from the Madonna Inn, but something you know like the yeah. Madonna Inn. Yeah. Oh, and weird. Again, they have goth sports stuff. I wouldn't oh, have yeah. guessed that. I know they've got like Oakland Raiders jerseys. Just like either they're Raiders fans or they just wanted the silver and black because that was on theme with the rest of the house. Oh, but I think you can find other things on silver and black than Raiders jerseys. I know, I know. You know, this the is, crypt... Yeah. The guy who does the... Uh, <laughs> the guy who does the voice of the Crypt Keeper, I, I I don't know what the origin of this is, but he always wears jerseys. He's kind of like uh, Kevin Smith in that sense. They have so many freaking jerseys. And they also have a whole shelf of signed helmets. Yeah, yeah. What the heck? So they're like goth football fans. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, do you, man? Like, I'm not saying you can't be into sports and be goth at the same time. I'm just totally. amazed at the amount of 
sports paraphernalia in here. Totally. Totally. I mean, that's a lot of jerseys. And then like, yeah, then a Michael Myers poster. Yeah. Yeah. And then jerseys. Weird. Weird. Weird of the week. Weird of the week. Yeah, it works. Hmm. And then this weird sex den room with a mounted television. Right. Yeah, they know what's up in that room for sure. They got very awesomely specific with their railing. Yeah, they did. Okay, I'm going to have to put this up. All right, well, I will be putting up the link to this house over on our Facebook group page so that people can check this out and actually know what we're talking about. I would love to hear other people's takes on this. Um, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's cute. Definitely cute. cute. It's cute. All right. Well, that's it for Weird of the Week. All right, let's move into, uh, sorry, I'm stretching because my back really hurts. Uh, oh, good. Our witches. Witches. Uh, witches. So I've been trying to focus a little bit more on witches that you may never have really heard of, per se. Uh-huh. Um. And this one is one of those. I never knew about this person. I actually didn't even know about um, the situation she became famous for, which happened in France. I knew about the affair with the necklace thing, which they made a whole movie based on. Uh I did not know about the affair of the poisons, though. Okay. So... Let me preface all of this with, yes, it is all in France. Uh-huh. So I am going to be struggling with pronunciations. I will try my absolute best. And that's all I have to offer. You know, it's old when the pictures on Wikipedia are like etchings of these people. Yes. This is, <laughs> mid, like... this is some mid-1600s level. Yeah. We're going, we're, going, we're going back. We're going back a bit. Um, all right, so it's we're we're talking about Catherine Monvosin. Vosin. Uh-huh. Yes. Catherine Monvosin, also known as La Vosin. Uh, she was a mid-1600s French fortune teller, a poisoner, a midwife, an abortionist, and an all-round <laughs> For hire sorcerer. Hey everybody, Jess here. Just wanted to hop on really quick and give everyone a content alert. While what we are about to talk about happened a long time ago, it's still um, not necessarily easy to listen to. So just wanted to give everybody a heads up. Thank you. She was also, aside from also just doing this on her own and being incredibly good at it, uh, she was also the head of a group of fortune tellers. So she basically had a fortune telling ring that which would provide all of these things and more to clients that were uh, all the way up to various members of the French aristocracy. Hence why she ended up getting herself in trouble. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. When you say poisoner, is that- I should say we. When we. when you say poisoner, is mm-hmm. that what does that mean? That doesn't just mean somebody that poisoned somebody to death. Does that mean like that was a no, profession? That that's what it means. It doesn't mean like she poisoned people. So basically, so okay, we're kind of jumping the gun here a little bit because I do go into this a little okay. bit in the beginning, but I can go into it now. So way back in the day, there was a woman by the name of, and I think it was Gabrielle. Let me double check my notes here. Uh, but my writing is really small. 
Julia, I'm sorry, her name was Julia Tofana. And she developed this thing called Aqua de Tofana. And so what you would do is you would go to her and she also, you know, provided a bunch of other stuff. She did herbal remedies. She did makeup. She did perfumery. Like she did a bunch of shit. So women would go to her and say, hey, I need to buy some Aqua de, de Tofana. And it was basically um, poison. And then they would take it home and they would take it home in these, uh, in these like, fancy cases that looked like cosmetics so that nobody would question it. And then they would slip it to whoever they would need to slip it to that person would die and they would be uh, free of that husband or free of whatever that they needed to be freed of. Anyway, she was a few uh, decades previous to what was going to happen here in France, but it was still a really well-known story. And so you start having these kind of, I don't want to call it copycat, but you know, it just kind of became for lack of a better phrase, kind of a trend. Right. And like, even before the Tofana, there was a bunch of um, rumors and, uh, and things of that nature that the um, Medici's were, Medici's were really big uh, poisoners and stuff of that nature. So that's just kind of the way that you did it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) If there was somebody so. in your way, yeah, you you would you would go to a professional poisoner, whoever that person was. Yeah. And they were not like you would need they weren't like advertising it. You would just need to know by word of mouth. Yeah. Which yeah, from you the got poisoner's a poison guy? perspective. Yeah, you need yeah, you need a poison guy, but <laughs> uh, or a poison woman. A lot of them were women. But that's the thing too, is like it wasn't the best. It's not the best way of doing business, in my opinion, not the poisoning part per se, but having to rely on word of mouth because you know that eventually somebody's going to fuck up. Yeah. Especially if a lot of people are coming to you because you're the the popular one. Yeah. That somebody's going to let the cat out of the bag and then you're in trouble because yeah. it was still against the law. So anyway. Um. So yes, so heads up on the uh, content warning, heads up on the French pronunciation warning, and here we go. So um, so yes, La Voisin, as we will refer to her through 99.9% of this, mm-hmm. was a mid-1600s French fortune teller, poisoner, midwife, abortionist, and all around for hire sorcerer. Now, she was the head of a group of fortune tellers who would actually provide all of these things and more to clients that varied uh, in membership, but pretty much all the way up to the French aristocracy, which is what ended up, like I said before, getting her in kind of a lot of hot water. Um, oh, actually, that's kind of ironic later on what, what happens to her. It's not water, though. Huh? Anyway, it all starts back when her husband went bankrupt. So Catherine kept the family going by offering herself up as a practitioner of chiromancy, which is palm reading, and face reading, which she had been learning the art of fortune telling since the age of nine years old. People would question her, and she said, "This was a talent that I had. My parent, like I, I learned this from a young age, and so I just took what I had and tried to make the best of it because we were not pulling in any money, and we mm. needed to live, and we have a family of six people." Um, obviously the midwifery and providing abortions ended up occurring, uh, after she kind of became established as a fortune teller, but then she started doing that. They were illegal at the time in France. So that was kind of some shady business there. Um, and she was providing these often to members of the French upper class. In fact, 
she actually began along with the poisoning and the fortune telling ring. She also began running a ring of abortionists, often sending women to other practitioners to do the deed while taking a cut of the profit in exchange for arranging it all. So Marie, I think it's Bose, B-O-S-S-E, Marie Bose, I will, or Bose, maybe Bose. We'll say Bose, it sounds prettier. Um, who was also a poisoner and a fortune teller. Uh, She became involved in the poison affair that we will bring up a little later, which is the beginning of the downfall for Catherine. She came forward during her questioning at one point and said, and this is in regards to the abortions, that the fetuses that were aborted late in the pregnancy were burned in Lavoisin's house furnace and that the remains were buried in her backyard garden. However, not much has been able to be proven about this due to Louis XIV stating that any investigations into Lavoisin's dealings in abortion should be dropped uh, from pursuing. Mm. Therefore, it is the least known and least investigated part of her enterprise. And a lot of people suspect that that is because so many French aristocratic women who uh, were both uh, involved with other aristocrats, possibly with the king himself, yada, 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 uh, might have gone to seek her services. And he was yeah. doing that as a way to not only protect them possibly, but also protect himself and right. just the aristocracy overall. So that kind of got um, somewhat swept under the rug a little bit. Uh, she was questioned about it later. We'll get into that in a little bit, but most of it was, um, most of her questioning was focused on the poisoning. So Lavoisin eventually became successful enough to start her own business selling supposed magical objects, potions, aphrodisiacs, poisons, and arranging black masses. So by the late 1660s, she became quite wealthy and was very, very well known and famous as a fortune teller. Her clients included uh, people such as Olympia Mancini, Comtesse de Sousons, oh God, Marie Anne Mancini, the Duchess de Bouillon, Elizabeth Comtesse de Gras. I'm going to stop. I'm just going to stop. Listen. Yeah, that's like, you'd have to know, you'd have to be top level I, You know, here's here's the thing, man. I practiced. I practiced, practiced this yeah. in my room, and it sounded great. <laughs> and now when the pressure's on and the camera's looking at me, yeah. I can't do it. I mean, I can do Marie and Mancini. That's okay. Yeah. Grandma. Francois Henri de Montmorency, Duke de Luxembourg. That sounds good. Yeah, it started off hot and then it kind of <laughs> fell apart near the end. Anyway, she had a lot of famous clients, yeah. is basically what I'm trying to say. If you want to look it up, you can probably find it on the Wikipedia page where everybody that um, was involved, and they were, they were really, 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 really high up there so by now she's obviously the breadwinner like she's mm. pulling in bank uh she's supporting a family of six which is her husband her mother and her children uh she's also known to have had at least six lovers at the time uh, the only reason it really is important i guess is because some of them ended up being co-conspirators for her uh she ended up being with or she ended up being a lover of the executioner andre guillaume Monsieur Latour, the Vicomte de um, Cousterans, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. An alchemist. I'm just gonna say it. Uh, the alchemist, the blesses, the architect, Fauché, a magician, Adam Lesage. Side note, Lesage actually tried to convince her to kill her husband, which she agreed to do at first and then changed her mind at the last second. Golly, what a yeah. wild life this person's living. Oh my gosh, it gets crazier. So Lesage uh, actually is, so the guys that she was involved with that would help her later. I mean, honestly, I think it's just Lesage. He he was a bit of, um, he was a unique individual. Yeah. And I would say to look into, obviously look into more of her because she's very interesting, but also Lesage is his own unique brand of, of yeah. whoa. Um, but despite all of this success, uh, not everything was wine and roses. She was actually known to be an alcoholic. Her lover Latour was very abusive to her. She was often swindled by con artists who she, she would give money to thinking that she was funding these great science and alchemy discoveries, but really it was just people trying to swindle her out of her money. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and she lost quite a bit and uh she was in a very heated rivalry with her poison with a different poisoner marie Bosset, who i brought up earlier about being somebody that confessed that she had been burning the bodies of children that she aborted right. so the two of them disliked each other they hated each other uh they were both dragged in to um confess to this affair of the poisons thing and they both tried to sell each other out upriver yeah yeah I don't think they actually ever worked together. I think they legitimately just didn't like each other. And they both realized that they were being questioned over the same thing. So they were going to try and get the other one mm -hmm. in as much trouble as possible. <clears throat> um, during her many meetings with various fortune-telling clients, Lavoisin began to notice a pattern that folks would either want somebody to fall in love with them, want somebody to die so that they could inherit or for their spouse to die so that they could be free to marry somebody else. So she decided, well, what the heck am I doing? Just reading these faces and reading these palms. I'm going to cash in on this on the hopes of my clients um, and have them start paying me. And so she did that. She started prepping and manipulating them to get them to believe that she could actually have some power to help them. Mm -hmm. So she would do this with this three-step process. She would start telling her clients that their wishes would come true if it was God's will. Then she would, and that, and that was just kind of like free, relatively free of charge, yeah. right? You come to me, tell me your problems. I'll read your fortune. FYI, if what you want is for these dreams to come true, you know, it's up to God. Yeah. Like, go, go pray to God is basically what she'd say. Right. Then she would start upping the ante a little bit and upping the charges a little bit more because she would start telling her clients that their wishes uh, would come true, but they would need to take some action and be proactive. And to do that, they needed to uh, go to church and pray to a specific saint and then buy from her specific amulets and potions uh -huh. that would, you know, that would help emphasize their prayers. And yeah. she was the only one that could make those things. So right. they would buy that off of her and then go to do this praying. This obviously got more aggressive. Um, and in uh, so she would start pushing different types of, of, of amulets and potions and concoctions, and those would go up in price as they got Gosh. more elaborate. And then uh -huh. eventually, if she found a really good mark, she would uh, offer them her most expensive recommendation, which was a black mass to be performed. 
And so what she would do is she would set this up so that the client would then pray for to Satan for their wish to come true. A woman would be used as an actual altar. A bowl would be placed on her stomach. And this was unverified in some of the accounts that I read. So I don't know if it's true or not, but they said a blood sacrifice of a baby was then made, oh whether it was alive or stillborn. Yeah. Nobody could really know. Um, that is not totally verified. The black masses are verified. The blood sacrifice baby, I only saw it written once and there was no additional article attached to it. So I hopefully, fingers crossed, that is right. not true. So going back to the conversation we had kind of off the top about Julia Tofana, which was the Aqua de Tofana poison um, makeup lady from Italy from a few decades earlier. Yeah. Um, poisons were all the rage. She eh. made them super popular. Mm -hmm. And La Voisin uh, definitely got in on the act, providing her clients with a huge array of various poisons and thus starting a poisoner's ring, which included the famous apothecary, Catherine Trinon. Trinon. Hmm. So basically she would, because she kind of knew about poisons, but not a bunch. She wasn't great at it. So she would go to these other people that were good at tinctures and doing that kind of stuff, yeah. hire them to put this, to cobble something together and then send it along. And so she just had this ring going. Has there ever been a movie made about this figure yes. or there has? There has. I mean, like Not the a ton, Poisoner's though. Ring is like such a, that's wild. Also, FYI, there's another book that I'm going to recommend that goes along with this particular article that we I will mention at the bottom of this. but. Um, it really kind of goes into poisons and their use and their popularity and lack of popularity and, and why um, throughout history. But they do really focus on France and Italy yeah. quite a bit back during that time. Yeah. It was a, it was a, a poison frenzy. Item. Yeah. Yeah. Hot ticket item in the 1600s. Um, so anyway, so yeah, she basically started, so she had like, I mean, she was, she was, she was a criminal mastermind. Yeah. When you think about it, she has a poisoner's ring that she's the head of that she's running. She has her own kind of like, um, tchotchke amulets, like fortune telling thing happening as her, as the, as the facade to right. the rest of this stuff, like what a facade. So she's got that going. Then she's got this abortionist ring going. Then she's got like, it's just, it's never ending with this woman. She yeah. has like multiple, like, she, like what the fuck? I mean. Imagine her with social media. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Could you, like, that's another thing. Could you, oh my God, that's a great, like, yeah. Imagine it on social oh media. Gosh. Like, you're never going to get people like this anymore. Right. <laughs> well, <social> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but Honestly, like, what the heck? And I mean, I just have to think that like, who just says, I'm going to start a black, you need me to get to black mass going for you? Yeah. Okay. I need you to show up, pray to Satan, get naked. Let me pour this blood on your stomach. Like, yeah. what the fuck? I mean, I just, I just have to believe that back then, because forensics wasn't a thing and it was a lot harder to do detective work and find the root of the reason for death. That it was just a free for all. It was just like poison pill, poison. You're dead. Hey, moving on. I mean, you know, it's just like unstoppable. One would, 
one would think yes, and you are not incorrect. Yeah. However, this was also the beginning, somewhat. Dates are a little bit wiggly. Yeah. But this is also the beginning of um, the first modern police force and one of the gents that the guy that started it is the guy that like took her out. Gotcha. That's tight. Yeah. So this is all, I mean, this is the, yeah, this is kind of the beginning of all of yeah. it. But that also goes to the the thing we were saying earlier, which is like, this is a risky business. If you're hoping your name gets out there by word of mouth, that means, and you're a popular person to go to, that means your, your name is on a lot of people's lips and eventually uh-huh. you are going to get caught, which is yeah. kind of what happened. So anyway, so, um, this is kind of the beginning of the end to her for her. So one of La Voisin's, I'm never going to get this right. Voisin's, Voisin's, most important clients was Madame de Montespan, who was the official royal mistress to King Louis the Fourteenth. The way they ended up hmm. hooking up, not King Louis and Montespan, but uh, Voisin's yeah. and Montespan. Montespan allegedly hires her to arrange a black mass for her in 1667. Uh, the mass was arranged and Montespan prayed to win the love of the king. And then later that same year, she was named the official royal mistress. So after that time, she assumed, oh my gosh, this woman has power. She totally pulled this off for me. Anytime she needed help or doing shady dealings with the king, um, she would hire La Vassoin. Mm-hmm. Vassoin. Vassoin. When in doubt, just say it like croissant. Croissant. She would hire La Croissant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're rewriting history. Voisson. Okay. So I was kind of saying it right. Yeah. I got too nervous. I got scared about it. I lost my confidence, and then it all went downhill. <laughs> right. Anyway, Montespan, I got right, I think. Anyway, so yes. So her, Voisson, and Montespan know each other because Montespan goes to her and says, I want to win the heart of the king. I want to be his head chick. And... I need you then to sacrifice these babies for me. Yeah. <laughs> so she does it. Uh, she then is named Louis the uh official royal mistress, which in and of itself, that is quite a trip. And uh, and she thinks, oh, Voisson has got it figured out. She's my gal. Yeah. I'm going to use her in the future. So um, in 1663, as, as a surprise to no one, uh, Louis XIV's interest in Montespan seems to start to wane, and she ends up requesting multiple black masses to be arranged for her in an effort to retain her position. Wow. And it's known that Montespan herself acted as a human altar in at least one mass. What does that mean? Like, like she she'd get naked and she'd be the table. She's the table. Yeah. And then they do all the stuff over the top of her while she's praying to retain the king's good wishes. Yeah. And, you know, and, or if the baby thing is true, then she was underneath the bowl. Yeah. So anyway, so yes, it is said that she, or it is known that she was the altar. She was the human altar. in at least one of these masses, she had multiple that she requested because she was afraid of losing her position, which it sounds like she was going to. Yeah. Um, and then she gets a little, she starts to kind of like, she gets a little, she gets a little aggressive with the king. Yeah. Montespan does. She gets a little big for her britches. She gets a little, you know, 
a little entitled, possibly a little sassy. Yeah. You know, I get it. You don't, nobody wants, you, you know what you're signing up for though, when you do this. So yeah. you know, he can't, huh? So she pops off in 1677 and she tells the king that if he abandons her, she's going to have him killed. Mm-hmm. She is she like, what? What are you, lady? Yikes, yeah. That is not the fire. You don't want to be playing fire with the sun king. Like, uh, yeah. like, you don't roll into the king and say, if you leave me, I'm going to have I you I guess you kill. do. I guess if you're her, you do. I can't believe she got away with it as much as she did. So that basically kickstarts. That threat in 1677 and Montespan starting to lose her shit basically kickstarts La affaire des poissons. The I think I said the affair of the fish, actually, but yeah. I meant to say the poison affair. Yeah. Um, the affair of the poisons. Um, in 1679, the king has now entered a love affair with Angelique de Fontanges. Fontanges? I don't know. F-O-N-T-A-N-G-E-S. Montespan promptly hires Voisson to poison and kill both the king and his new mistress. She's like, fuck this. Mm-hmm. You know, I warned you in 1677. You eye rolled me. And now you're hooking up with this new chick in 1679. Like, yeah. I'm done. You're dead. I'm done with you. Lava Voswan 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 Oh my gosh. What's <laughs> Now you're in my head. I can't remember. Voisson. Yeah. Voisson. Like croissant. Yeah, yeah. pretty Boisson. much. Yeah. Voisson. Okay. Sorry. I got <laughs> I got panicked. I started to panic. La Voisson, fuck, <laughs> gathers together a group of co-conspirators and concocts a plan to kill the king. At first, she tells Montespan, no, I'm not interested mm-hmm. in this. Like, I don't want to be a part of this. But she eventually manages to get convinced somehow. And she says, fine, I'll do it. Those in on the scheme are the poisoners, Catherine Trianon, uh, who actually then refuses to do it. She she knows about the plan, but she refuses to be a part of the plan. Yeah. But she got pulled in. Uh, Bertrand and Ro- Romani, uh, Romani being the fiance of Wasson's daughter. Um, like I said, Trianon refused to be a part of it. And she tried to actually talk Vuswan out of it, but obviously to no avail. Yeah. Like she was just like, she's locked in. The plan was that the king would be killed via a poisoned petitioned letter, which would then be delivered directly into his hands. So they were going to poison the paper, hand it over to him so that when he opened it up and tried to read this petition, yeah. he would it on his hands and then i don't know if it would seep in through his skin they i couldn't find what kind of poison yeah what was their main like mode of delivery well she so the main mode of delivery is this that catherine uh lava swin on march uh 5th of 1679 she heads to the royal court because she's she's friends with all these people so she can roll on in yeah so she goes in to the court over at saint germain with the poison petition in her hand and she's trying to get it to be passed over to the king in the hopes that he's going to open and look at it However, there's too many people with too many petitions that day, and it never makes its way to him. She never gets the chance to hand it over. And so she's unable to deliver it, uh, thus foiling her plan. So she returns home with the paper, instructs her daughter to burn it, 
And then she heads out to meet up with Catherine Trianon, the lady that was trying to convince her not to do it, but knew about the plan in the first right. place so that they could brainstorm a plan to, for like murder the King round two. Right. Like, this right. Work out, but nobody caught us. So I had my daughter burn the letter. Let's try it again. Let's brainstorm. Like you like work together. However, unbeknownst to either anybody, honestly, except for those that uh, were in the beknownst, uh, with there was the the arrest of the fortune teller and successful poisoner Marie Bose or Bose, mm-hmm. who was the big rival to Voisson. She got picked up on January of 1679, which then alerted the police because she confessed a whole bunch of shit Mm -hmm. that there was actually a network of poisoners and murderers amongst all the fortune tellers in France, that this was like a big fucking net of like killers that are running these like these murders and for hire. And that she, and then basically she's like, you don't know how deep this rabbit hole goes. It goes all the way, uh, apparently, to the bottom, all of the top. Yeah. Uh, like, everybody's involved. And if you shake down who you think you're going to shake down, you're going to be in some serious shit. It's basically right. what the police and the uh, the royal household and everybody's starting to figure out, like, oh, we, we, are, what is, what the fuck? Yeah. But uh, so uh, Marie gets picked up. The police now know that this network is going on and they've known about it since 1679. So this then leads to the arrest of, for no real reason, other than they just suspect her of being a poisoner, La Voisin, Uh who is picked up after that mass and just before her meeting with Catherine Trianon to discuss Kill the King round two. Right. She thinks she's getting arrested because of the conspiracy to kill the king. They don't, it's not. They're they're picking her up because she is just named by uh, Marie Bosset and a couple other people at this point as being part of this fortune-telling poisoner ring. They have no idea that the king just barely got away with being murdered. Um, so she's picked up, uh, shortly thereafter, her dog, her daughter, Marguerite, uh, is picked up as well as the other co-conspirators. Um, and the rest of her network of associates are also picked up and imprisoned. So like, if you go to the wiki for the affair of the poisons and you scroll down to the bottom, it will actually list all the people that were arrested and then all the people that were actual poisoners and fortune tellers and the ones doing the killing. Yeah. And then it will list their clients and who they were clients of beneath that and then what their punishment was. And the list is extensive. Yeah. It is an extensive list. So Everybody gets picked up. Everybody's in prison. Uh, Despite confessing to providing poisons to a list of nobility and other aristocrats, Poisson, or Poisson, (laughs) that is the fish, Uh, uh, Voisson actually denies ever having known or working with Madame Montespan. And it wasn't until after her death that her plans to murder the king via poison under his ex-lover's orders was ever brought to light. They never knew about it until after she died. And only then it was confirmed by people who had managed to survive this somehow. And her daughter, her daughter came forward and said some stuff too, but otherwise nobody knew of it. She never confessed to it. Like it was never 
yeah. figured out until after the fact. She also denied burning the bodies of aborted infants in her oven if they were too large for the makeshift mass grave in her garden, because don't forget, um, uh, abortion was also illegal yeah. at that time. So they were getting her on the poison charges and also the abortion charges. Um, however, let's also not forget that the king stopped anybody from really investigating that. Uh, and she denied using syringes filled with poison on pregnant women in order to, air quote, empty them. Right. Needless to say, nobody believed her. So she, on February 17th, 1680, she's put on trial and sentenced to death for burning for witchcraft. And from the date of her trial to the date of her execution, it is said by some that she was formally tortured during interrogation with an official document stating that she was tortured enough to having been pushed to the point to beg for mercy. However, some dispute that as the police at the time were given to understand that while official permission had been granted for the use of torture, it was never actually used. Uh, this is also then reinforced by Gabrielle Nicolas de la Rene, who was the founder of the first modern police force. Huh that in reality, she was actually never subjected to torture. Other people came forward and said when they saw her walking to her pyre uh, for her execution, she moved about and was like, acted as she was, she looked super healthy. She didn't look like she was suffering. She had total freedom of movement. She, it doesn't, it didn't yeah. appear as if she had been tortured. So that's up for some debate. Um, some theorize that the torture was not used due to the fear of prominent names within the aristocracy might have been uh, brought to the surface during the torture and they just didn't want to know. Yeah. The portrait that uh, the drawing of her that comes up on Wikipedia is her being held in a portrait like by a winged devil. Pretty yeah. fucking intense. Yeah. So she was burned at the stake on February 22nd, 1680. After she pushed away a priest and kicked at the straw and hay that had been piled around her on her way to the pyre. Oh my gosh. At the, at the pla, place, place de Greve, which I've been to and I believe really? is now a hotel. Yes. It's a P L A C E D E G R E with a tilde a V E. So all in all, the poison affair implicated 442 suspects, Jeez. 367 orders of arrests were issued, of which 218 were actually carried out. Of the condemned, 36 were executed, five were sentenced to the galleys, and 23 were sentenced to exile. This excludes those who died in custody by torture or suicide. Additionally, many accused were never brought to trial, but placed outside of the justice system and imprisoned for life by a letter... <sighs> Letter de cachet, which is basically a royally sealed letter, which has also been co-signed by a minister, not not like a, a minister, like pray minister, but a minister like, yeah, work, like a working, like a minister of, of the public or whatever. Yes. Thank you. I'm like yeah. the working kind. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Totally. Uh, it's essentially a direct order from the king and it cannot be pardoned or appealed. Dang. So basically people are just shuttled off and forgotten about. And that is what happened to a lot of them. Yeah. And that is the Man, ending. Man, holy hell. Oh no, I lied. There isn't. That's not the ending. I got one more thing because I forgot that there's always, no matter what, one idiot left. Yeah. 
In October of 1702, a Marie Anne de la Ville was arrested for having created a new organization similar to the one of La Voisin, but because of the affair of the poisons, she and her colleagues were never brought to trial. They just got imprisoned without a trial because of the letter de cachet. Gotcha. So they, uh, she tried to kickstart this again. Yeah. They caught her almost, you know, I don't know, almost immediately. I have actually no reason why right. I said that. Uh, they caught her. And instead of even, you know, she went, she did not pass go. She right. went straight to jail. They were like, we know what's up. We've seen this yeah. before. Yeah. You're out. You're out. Ow. You're done. And that, like you would, that's why I said one last idiot. That is think, wild. Like, that would have been enough to, fe- to, to scare you away from doing that kind of work. Yeah. But- so so has there been a film about this specific thing or just Okay, so technically there's not a movie. I thought there was, but there's not a movie. There is a novel that has it portrayed in it called The Oracle Glass, which was written in 1994 by a Judith Merkel Riley. And then apparently this particular moment in time was the leading thread throughout the second season of the French Canadian TV series Versailles. Oh, okay. And I believe you can watch Versailles on one of the streaming services right now. Yeah. But that's a pretty much interesting as far as it being, um, you know, showcased in pop culture. Yeah, totally. Gosh. However, I would like, to recommend a book however you want to read it i listen to it on audible please come sponsor us they never (laughs) will i i mean it's not like they don't have thousands of dollars of my money just sitting here (laughs) but um let me find the name of it it is a very very good book on the history of poison yeah both in culture and just kind of like how it came about and who who used it for what and why. And I am almost positive that they cover this in that book. It's called The Royal Art of Poison. It was fascinating. I absolutely loved it. I enjoyed the Audible too because the woman's voice was very relaxing. Mm -hmm. Um, It is by Eleanor Herman, Eleanor Herman. And I just highly recommend it. It's great. Um, and and you already read that book, though. I read that yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. Man, and what did I? And you, it's like I learned a like I actually learned some cool things about poisons in there as well. Like she kind of goes into not only the history of it and like how people would made it. So she talks about the Aqua de Tofana stuff within Italy and the Medici's kind of getting involved and like yeah. killing each other off all the time. And then that, how that led into sometimes people using it to kill popes and popes using it to kill other people or Golly. other popes that were up for the same job. And then it just like, it goes into this like deep dive yeah. of like why this became such a cool thing. And then like, how did people get it? And it's like, I like, I like Lily of the Valley, the flower yeah. is extremely poisonous. Yeah, And like, how some of that would be used in medicinal purposes to kind of knock people out for surgeries and stuff, because that's the only kind of medicine that they would have in order to put you under back in the day. But then it was always dangerous because you could accidentally kill the person. Like it's just how women would drop hemlock drops into their eyes to make their eyes look wider. It's just amazing. Dang. Dang. That was a freaking trip. 
Yeah, that was a history lesson. I wish I could have, uh, listen, I truly wish I could have done justice to the pronunciation. I think it was probably I, better the way it went. I don't know. <laughs> I felt like I was given some good info and it all fell apart because I couldn't say the words right. So yeah. please, please, please. I tried really hard. I practiced beforehand. It just wasn't working yeah. out. I got panicked. I got nervous and I got insecure. But um, but needless to say, look the story up for yourself. All the people involved in it. I mean, she was one small smattering of a bunch of like, what the fuck group of people. Yeah. And like, what the hell was going on in France up in the upper echelons of society? Yeah. Like, look them up there. It's all, it's all weird. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want me to tell you my Bowser's Backyard update as we wrap out this episode? Yeah, let's let's end on a Bowser's Backyard. Well, I want to still give people enough time because I figured we'd switch back to our normal routine with Weird of the Week in the beginning, our uh, story, yeah. and then our listener story and or something else from one yeah. of us. I just want to give people a little extra time. Totally. Well, it's uh, it's not really Bowser's Backyard. It's Bowser's uh, Garage. I don't remember how much I've updated you on this, but I'm rehabbing a half feral cat in my garage. Yes. Yeah. I know about that. Yeah. Do you know that he is now inside my wall? Do you know about that? What? No. How did he get in your wall? So. Like, is he stuck? No, he's not stuck. And that's important to note. It's important to note that he is safe. It's not a, a an actual wall. It's my set wall. You know, I've built a fake onyx basement in my garage. So there's actually a fake set wall in front of my garage wall. And there's Got like it. the yeah. perfect alleyway for a cat. But it was. So he hangs there. He hangs he there. He goes in he and out. There. Exactly. So, but it happened because it, I'm working with this rescue to rehab him. And, and they were like, okay, it's now it's time to start feeding him outside of the crate and just make sure there's not any place he can get into. And so I blocked off the set wall crevice. But. He found a way in. I mean, gosh, he must have turned his little body into like a, a ferret size. But uh, he was he was getting to the point where he was coming out of the crate and eating in front of me. Like we were, we were making in, you know, in the same space kind of contact, eye contact. But then he went behind this, this set wall and he only comes out to eat and go potty. And then he just goes back behind the set wall. And uh, it, it but. This week, it was like, okay, it's time to get him out from behind the set wall and get him back to eating in the room with me. And I had to rig up like a Kevin McAllister-style Home Alone trap, basically. Not a trap, but I had to have him come out of the wall. So had my wife close the garage door as if it was me leaving. I had to have my laptop facing the wall on Zoom, on a Zoom call. My, my phone was set up on the same Zoom call, monitoring that. And I was hiding behind a wardrobe rack with uh, handles that I've r- like rigged up to strings that go on my ceiling and to a panel that drops so that when he comes out of the wall, the panel will close the hole that he goes through. And it worked like gangbusters. It was like Looney Tune style. My wife closed the door a minute past before he poked his head out and was like, cool, nobody's here. Time to go eat. He comes out. I, I lower the strings, the panel slid right into <laughs> right into place and then yeah. and then he saw me and he was like you fucking lied to me dude and i was like i know but all he did was he just ran and sat under my desk i was like okay cool mm-hmm. hang out under the desk i went over to the panel i nailed it shut on one side on the other side it couldn't be nailed because it was it, there's nothing behind it 
but I like tut I taped it up. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll I'll make that sturdier later. And I hung out for the whole day in here with him. He didn't come out from under my desk, but he he did eat and he looked at me and like he was calm, you know, he was calming down. Mm-hmm. I left him for 10 minutes. He punched through that panel and like <laughs> ripped the tape off and dove back behind the wall. So now he's shit. back behind the wall and we're back into our old routine. He's coming out to eat, coming out to go doo-doo and then going back behind the wall. So, I mean, I'm being out smart. It's like a, you know, a Wiley Coyote situation or, or, you know, any other Looney Tunes combo. I'm being outsmarted by him. Uh, but I got to get him out of the wall so that we can get back to like him eating in the room with me. But I'll have to make sure I reinforce the panel next time. So that's what's going on in my Was garage. That- Wow, that's yeah, 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 man. Yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. Woo! Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was a good palate cleanser for the uh, for the fumbling French fumbling <laughs> slash uh, potential baby murder story My gosh. that I decided to tell in Black Masses and all of it. Just like, what the heck was going on in France? Yeah, like, seriously. Oh my god. That's just weird. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that is it for this week's episode of The Untold Hour. Thank you guys for joining us. Like I said before, I think we're just going to move back into our standard uh, format. Stereo was a good experiment, but I'm going to be on the road again soon. I know that we're both super, super busy as it is. So Sundays are going to get tougher and tougher to try and do, especially like, what's the point if I'm not even there? And I noticed like, we just never really had a ton of people on there. So something to consider for the future. Cause I thought that the concept was good. It's just that I just feel like we've got our groove. This just feels more comfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is our groove. So that being the case, we are reintroducing listener stories here on the podcast. So if you would like to send one in, uh, you can send it to us via email at the untold hour pod at gmail.com. Again, the untold hour pod at gmail.com. That's the only place that I will be gathering stories. I mean, except for maybe, I guess, Discord. I'll have it on my Discord channel too, but don't DM or anything like that because I've noticed, I just never see them. I don't see them. I don't think to look for them. And so I don't want to end up accidentally uh, missing and or losing any of your messages. So again, you can send it to my discord, uh, which I think you can find in the bios of, of our socials, but also specifically the easiest place is the untold hour pod at gmail.com. So send them there and we'll start reading them again. And with that, Bowser, do you want to sign us off? This has been Jessica Chobot and Andrew Bowser, and you've been listening to the untold hour. Bye. Untoldians, that is it for this episode of The Untold Hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bazaar. If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to the untoldhourpod at gmail.com. 
Come join the Untold Hour Convo over on my Discord server and our Facebook group. And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at The Untold Hour and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter. Starbands Audio, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.